Welcome to the newest conversation at the Review of Democracy. I am Ferenc Lotso, and I am an editor at Trafdem. And it is my pleasure to host Cesare Kurtika, Laszlo Kontler, and Clara Meyer today. Welcome to the show, and thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. For inviting us. Thanks for the opportunity. Great to have you three at the Revdem. Cesare Kutika is a lecturer in British history in the Department of Anglo-American Studies at the University of Paris 8, where he teaches courses in British slash European history and in intellectual history. He is the author of the monograph, Sir Robert Filmer and the Patriotic Monarch, Patriotism in 17th Century Political Thought, Cesare Kutica is also the co-editor of four volumes, as well as the author of a whole host of journal articles, book chapters, and other types of scholarly contributions. Now, to proceed in strictly alphabetical order, Laszlo Kontler is a professor at the Department of History of the Central European University. He is the new old pro-rector of said university, and an affiliate of the Democracy in History Research Group of the CEU's new Democracy Institute, to which I should mention the review of democracy also belongs. Laszlo Kontler is an intellectual historian and a historian of political thought, primarily of the early modern period and of the Enlightenment, who also has an avid research interest in the history of historical discourses, and in translation and reception in the history of ideas. Kontler is the author of several specialized monographs and also of a widely read general history of Hungary, which was first published in the English language and then got translated into a host of other languages as well. Uh, last but certainly not least, uh, Clara Meyer is a lecturer in political science at Columbia University. She works on political theory, the history of political thought, legal history, and European intellectual history of the 19th and 20th centuries. Clara Meyer's current research focuses on legal and constitutional theory, particularly the history of German and continental European concepts of statehood, law, and democracy. Now, Cesare, Laszlo, and Clara have recently co-edited a volume under the title Crisis and Renewal in the History of European Political Thought, which draws on the 2018 conference of the European Society for the History of Political Thought held at the University of Heidelberg. This co-edited volume of yours has appeared as volume four in the series History of European Political and Constitutional Thought, and as an introductory question of sorts uh, to our conversation today, may I ask which other key themes have been addressed at recent conferences of the European Society for the History of Political Thought? And what motivated you to focus the 2018 conference on crisis and renewal? What was your initial idea? Not to go back into the too distant past, the society was founded in 2008, 2009, and that's when we had the first uh, conference. But the last, let me just mention the last three. Uh, in 2014, actually, CU hosted the one on trust and happiness and the history of European political thought. 
uh, which also appeared as a volume uh, with Brill. Uh, uh, I co-edited it with Mark uh, Somos. Uh, the next one was uh, in Barcelona, uh, Constitutional Movements in European History. Uh, and that's a volume which is lagging a little bit behind, but uh, it's uh, also been submitted uh, by, the, by the editor, uh, Javier Gilles, uh, just recently, and hopefully uh, it will see daylight uh, quite soon. And unfortunately, uh, then, uh, uh, oh yes, and then uh, we had crisis and renewal, uh, and then we had a uh, conference scheduled for 2020, but COVID set in, uh, so, and we wanted to resist adamantly the temptation of uh, moving online, so it still not has happened, uh, but we are now uh, set on uh, the end of August in Helsinki uh, this year with the Helsinki Center for Intellectual History, uh, uh, which will host a conference that, and it will be dedicated to uh, um, the common good, histories of the idea of the, of the common good. Uh, and the plan is to, to have all of these uh, collections published in the series, uh, uh, which we launched with Brill a couple of years ago, uh, History of European Political and Constitutional Thought. Um, Cesar, I, want, I was wondering whether you want to talk about the origins of the uh, Heidelberg conference because uh, uh, you were you were the first to come up with the topic. Well, thank you. Yeah, well, there are uh, multiple reasons. Uh, institutional, in a way, um, the conference follows very much the the spirit of the society, um, challenging topics um, anchored in historical, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, context. Um, but uh, the, the, one of the main reasons was that uh, this was the year 2017-2018. Crisis was literally everywhere. This was the hype of the uh, migrant crisis. Um, obviously, there were still a uh, lot of talks about uh, the economic crisis um, or economic recession in English. Um, the crisis of democracy was a big, big thing because it was just you know a year or so after the election of Donald Trump. Brexit had kicked in. There was also, um, at that time, I was also uh, uh, working on um, Stefan Collini's um, intellectual history, methodological approach. And he, Stefan Collini is somebody who uh, wrote an awful lot about the crisis of the university, or of the universities, especially in um, uh, Britain due, the, due to the marketization of uh, education. So I felt that crisis was everywhere. I can also tell you a slightly facetious personal anecdote. I was flying to uh, Washington DC to give a, a paper uh, at the Fort Shakespeare Library about uh, crisis, something I tried out uh, before then um, putting together the paper for the Heidelberg conference. And when I arrived um, at the airport and I went through passport control, and you know, I was, um, uh, um, uh, you know, I had to undergo the usual barrage of questions um, by the authorities. And they asked me the purpose of my visit, um, what the purpose of your visit is. And I said, well, I'm attending a conference. What's the conference about? And I uh, say, um, it's about crisis. Moment of silence, and the um, the officer looks up at me, looks down at me, and um, probably due to the fact that despite my venerable, venerable age, I'm still wearing tight jeans, he looked at me and said, what do you mean, Mid uh, midlife crisis? Um, so I thought, um, well, it's time to do something about it. Uh, not, I mean, not about my jeans, but uh, about the, the topic. And so I started reading a little bit about it, and, and I uh, uh, proposed the idea to... Uh, the other members of the committee. And one thing I, I immediately realized was there was an awful lot about crisis. Um, in, 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 in what sense? A lot about the history of, in the history of philosophy, 
in the philosophy of history, uh, in, in philosophical reflections, a lot about crisis as a um, modality, if you like, of thinking about history. Um, there was an awful lot about crisis in, as a, you know, think about Rousseau is the first, but also Paul Lazar, you know, as the defining element of uh, modernity. And um, there was something about crisis also as, a, as an historiographical tool. In other terms, is crisis as a tool a legitimate one to be used by historians in order to interpret a, a time, a period? Um, so this, uh, but regardless, and then obviously there is a lot of in sociology, or if you think about um, all the, the talks about uh, obviously a climate crisis, but also uh, um, departmental, um, you know, governmental departments dedicated to crisis management, terrorist crisis, so on and so forth. So I, we started to dig in uh, and see whether the our discipline, the uh, history of political ideas, uh, had. Um, dealt with uh, crisis. In this sense, our conference was quite pioneering um, because this is something we're talking about, something which took place almost four years ago, um, certainly almost five in terms of organization. And there wasn't much out there in terms of conference. It's only after in a way that lots of people started working on uh, organizing conferences about crisis, the crisis of expertise and so on and so forth. So one thing we realized immediately was that the history of ideas had something to offer in the sense that um, we had the year 1954, being Heidelberg, the place where we organized a conference, this came handy. The year 1954 was the year when Kozelik uh, uh, wrote about crisis, crisis, but also, and obviously both Laszlo and Clara will say more about Kozelik, but also Hannah Arendt in her uh, essay, The Crisis in Education, talked about the fact that crisis tears away facades and obliterate, obliterate prejudices and forces us back to the question themselves and requires from us either new or old answers. So on the basis of what Hannah Harron said, we ask ourselves, ourselves, okay, what does the history of political thought have to tell us uh, about crisis? In other terms, is the history of political thought um, creative, productive of crisis? And in particular, we wanted to study how uh, a large spectrum of both well-known and less-known uh, writers, uh, uh, thinkers, had dealt in their specific context with uh, 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 crisis. So this is, in a nutshell, the origins, the, the rationale behind the uh, conference. And I will add something uh, in a minute. That's really fascinating, and I think it raises a whole host of further questions, which I hope you'll get the chance to, to discuss later today. Let me perhaps begin by referring to your excellent introduction uh, to the volume that shows how crisis has its own conceptual history, and that crisis and progress have served as key tools of historicization and have, in fact, been conceptually interdependent since the 18th century. How would you sketch, if again, necessarily rather tentatively, the history of this key concept as we enter modern times? And how can we observe this interdependence with the idea of progress? And in connection with those questions, let me perhaps also ask a bit about the methodologies you employed in the book. Would you be willing to discuss how your approach might differ from alternative approaches? 
what it can help us grasp that those other approaches may perhaps miss, and how you and other authors in the volume have drawn on and related to the influential work and theoretization by the famed late German uh, conceptual historian Reinhard Koselek. I mean, um, you've also you, you've already stressed how important um, Reinhard Koselek obviously is for this volume um, as one of the key people who did the kind of um, theoretical work to sort of move crisis from merely something that is used to talk in specific ways about something, right, um, as, as a kind of rhetoric. Uh, to something that could really become a kind of, as 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 um, Cesare has just called it, a historiographical tool, but also something um, that needs to be understood as a um, kind of large-scale understanding of the history of political thought um, as such, right? Um, and this is uh, something that is very clear in his understanding of crisis, right, that it's something that sort of has its origins in uh, Greek political thought, but really only re-emerges as a kind of powerful category in the early modern period, and that there is something specific about those kind of politics that emerge from ideas of crisis, right? And this is something I think um, that methodologically we've tried to sort of stress in the entire volume as well, that um, throughout modernity, you will always find crisis talk, right? Um, but the fact that crisis is employed as a specific kind of tool of understanding the contemporary situation tells you something about the mode in which politics is being conducted. Um, at a certain point of view. And that's something that Kozelik um, really contributed to, right? And we show in the volume that there are other people who use um, crisis as a concept in a similar way, right? Often people who haven't really been talked about in the, in, in the context um, um, of, of this concept at all. But uh, it's, it's also right to maybe use the history of political thought to sort of take a step back from the Kozelekian kind of framework and um, and sort of examine his his own kind of structure one that is is maybe deeply is, is deeply indebted to his own view of um, uh, particularly the early modern period as a as you know as a as a, as a saddle time right um, and as modernity is particularly marked by crisis right we also wanted to sort of strip away the kind of self evidence if it as it were um, of the concept of crisis right this is something that that Kozelik I think doesn't necessarily uh, uh, reflect so much about about is that you know if you call something a crisis. Um, there is an immediacy to it. And uh, as Cesare said, right, Arendt thought that there was incredible potential in that kind of rhetorical move. Um, but there can, that can also be a critical reflection, right? Um, like, why do we think about certain things as in need of immediate action and of other things as not in need of that specific kind? So the historization um, uh, lends itself also to a kind of um, theoretically critical reflection on the concept. And I think that's kind of evident and in, in, in the way we've uh, used the um, Kozelekian 
um, historization of, of the concept. If I can come in a little bit on, on progress and crisis, uh, indeed that uh, that fascinated us uh, a lot while while working on uh, this this project, the conference as well as the as a volume. So progress and crisis are commonly conceptualized as diametrical opposite or two sides of the same coin. Progress being the great invention of the 18th century when uh, uh, it's introduced as a kind of forward march uh, of history, replacing a simple chronology uh, of events uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, progress it is that provides tissue uh, to the historical process. Um, you reach ever higher stages of uh, development of uh, culture, civilization, uh, social relations, refinement, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. These are well-known uh, panels, and crisis uh, is thought of usually as uh, some dramatic halt of this uh, process, something that results uh, in a setback. Even in 18th century, however, many thinkers who were progressive children of the Enlightenment were extremely worried about possible setbacks in the process of, 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 of civilization and, uh, and history and progress. Uh, Adam Ferguson, the important Scottish Enlightenment figure, uh, is one who, was, uh, uh, who had nightmares about the possibility of falling back uh, to an earlier stage. Conversely, uh, crisis is not necessarily an evil thing, uh, not necessarily something that um, dramatically um, uh, causes progress to turn around. Uh, crisis is uh, also uh, possible to acknowledge as a trigger uh, for further development. Uh, and here, uh, it's an interesting coincidence or not a coincidence. Uh, 1954 has been mentioned uh, in the context of Kozelik as well as Arendt, but that's also the time when uh, certain leftist Marxist-leaning historians associated with uh, the journal Past and Present, but also all across Europe, in France, even in the Soviet Union, uh, invented or introduced the notion of the general crisis of the 17th century, uh, a critical moment in uh, the history of polities, of economies, of, uh, of cultural systems uh, of, uh, of interaction, et cetera, et cetera. Something that uh, is a crisis, it's a crisis of late feudalism, uh, which somehow inaugurates uh, capitalist progress, some, something which is necessary uh, to trigger uh, progress. Also, uh, one might think, and, and this is an important, this is an interesting moment when, uh, when we might turn to the uh, etymology of crisis. Uh, which we're thinking about a lot and which some of the contributors uh, in the volume tackle uh, with great uh, sensitivity. Of course, everyone is familiar with the medical notion of crisis as being the moment in the, uh, in the history of an illness, which is decisive from the point of view whether uh, the patient dies or recovers. Uh, crisis comes from a Greek word uh, whose meaning is to judge, to decide, to decide in the sense of judge, judging, making, pronouncing judgment uh, about something. This, however, leads us to the other uh, uh, word formation uh, from the root crinine. Uh, it's criticism. It's a critical moment uh, in the sense that it will be decisive for the future. Uh, but it also means judging in the sense of criticizing. And that's where uh, Kozelek uh, highly ingeniously uh, links the notions of crisis, critique and crisis. Critique und Krise, uh, in the title of the dissertation from which uh, the seminal book uh, arises. Uh, 18th century critical intellectual pronounced criticism on 
the Ancien Regime, the, poli the political structures, uh, uh, the ecclesiastical and secular tyranny, etc., uh, etc., et and inaugurate the crisis of the Ancien Regime. Uh, so he is when talking about crisis, uh, is capable of generating crisis uh, in a certain sense, which is tackled in interesting ways in some of the contributions to the volume. Uh, and yet there's another aspect of the volume to which I'd like to call attention, uh, which is somehow related, namely that the, uh, the authors of the volume variously tackle crisis as partly as a topic of political thought, so as we are suggesting, there's an intellectual history of, uh, of, the, of the concept, of the notion of crisis, but also as, as a fact of life, uh, as a historical phenomenon, a crisis of a polity, a crisis of a society, a crisis of a, of a culture, uh, which marks out the, uh, uh, the limitations of what is possible under the existing paradigm, and forces thinkers to relate in dramatically different ways uh, to their own predicament and the predicament of the society in which they live. Uh, so crisis is a trigger of um, new ways of thinking uh, about politics. And this is something which, uh, which is also not entirely new, but, uh, but which still uh, generates very productive uh, work in the history of political thought. Um, the first examples may be uh, uh, of the sense in which uh, this is relevant is Hans Barron's work on the crisis of the uh, Italian city-state, uh, turn of the uh, 14th and 15th centuries, uh, which leads to uh, an even more profound manner of humanist civic republican thinking, or uh, John Parker's uh, treatment uh, of uh, uh, late uh, of late of a later generation of humanists, Gittradini and Machiavelli uh, in particular, who are confronted with the liminality of the Republic, uh, who are forced to realize that Republican discourse, Republican ways of uh, thinking and uh, and writing about the polity is becoming irre irrelevant, and therefore start uh, using a new language and a new terminology and a, uh, a new conceptual apparatus uh, of political thought. And uh, this multiple approach uh, of uh, treating crisis as a topic, treating crisis as something that generates uh, interesting ways of thinking um, uh, is, I think, also coming nicely across in the contributions to the volume. Like you just mentioned, your volume analytically distinguishes between the empirical reality of crises from crisis as a form of analysis or rhetoric, if you wish. And as you insist, talking about the crisis may in fact engender one and can clearly exacerbate our sense of it. Through talking about crisis, speakers can identify an issue as decisively important and as one that demands immediate action, right? So as you argue in the book, crisis discourse thus also facilitates a specific mode of politics, which is action-centered and which is eager to constantly reshape things. So in connection with these points, would you perhaps be willing to discuss how the rhetorical construction and empirical realities of crises have interacted? in at least some of the cases that are analyzed in the volume? And what can readers hope to find out about crisis as a specific mode of politics by reading the various erudite studies 
contained in your volume? If I may, I, I would answer your, your question in a twofold uh, way. Um, with regard to the um, interconnectedness, uh, as you define it, between, say, the theory and the practice uh, or the theoretical aspect and the empirical one, I'd like to call attention to um, a couple of the essays in the volume. For instance, the essay on uh, by Ferenc Orschner on uh, Althusius is a clear example of what we tried to describe it in, in the introduction. Uh, I, Althusius is a philosopher, is a theorist, but as the, the, the essay uh, explains, Althusius was also a magistrate who was called uh, to uh, the uh, uh, town of Emden to resolve a crisis. So we here we have this fascinating situation where we have the men of letter who also turns into the men of action. Um, the other example uh, which I like to uh, uh, bring out is the example of Kuselik himself. We have a marvelous uh, essay um, by uh, Kai uh, uh, Graf about. Kizelik, not just Kizelik, the philosopher and the, the theoretician of crisis, but Kizelik, the student and the scholar in his own context uh, um, in Heidelberg in Germany. Who was he influenced by? Who was he talking to? So these are two, two examples. The other one is um, I call attention to Erica, Erica Bennett's essay because, in, in, in a way, this goes uh, along to the second point of your excellent question, which is. Uh, you know, how uh, uh, to interact, how to deal with, uh, you know, crisis as, um, you know, how to deal with the issue of political thought as gener generative of, of crisis. Well, uh, Erica Benner, uh, by using uh, the example of Thucydides and Machiavelli, shows how uh, crisis generate, the talking of crisis generates a crisis of speech in a way. And she uh, uh, tackles themes such as corruption, for instance. And she shows, she, she shows very well how insinuating and pervasive talking of crisis within a polity is. And hence, she shows with an eye to the here and now, the importance, she insists on the importance of what she calls self-examination uh, in the sense that the individual has to take responsibility when faced uh, by crisis and if we want renewal which is the other key concept of our uh, uh, work we need to embark on this process of self-examination and finally i and forgive the self-referentiality i would say that in my own uh, essay on ochlocracy we uh, here I go back a little bit to what Laszlo said, the fact that crisis engenders a, a sort of conceptual inno innovation. Ochlocracy, which literally means um, the power of the oculus, the government of the oculus, the worst of the worst, you know, the democracy degenerates according to the Polybian theory, and it turns into an ochlocracy. Now, the term ochlocracy sees an explosion. The, the, the 17th century um, in particular, the mid-17th century with the uh, crisis engendered by the civil wars sees an explosion in the usage of acrocracy. And the question is, why? Well, uh, acrocracy is, is, is the term used to explain something unprecedented. At the end of which we have Thomas Hobbes' Leviathan, published in 1651, which according to my interpretation is precisely the type of reaction to the novelty of this crisis and ochlocracy is this conceptual uh, tool used by authors at that time to describe something uh, which, like a disease, 
uh, was showing a very, very complicated phase, the phase where things could go for England either uh, or, either towards the death of the state or recovery. But the point is, what does come out of it? Well, this is a moment of judgment, and Hobbes' Leviathan, in a way, poses very well as that moment of judgment uh, of, of uh, a novel uh, uh, beginning. Yeah, I mean, I think there's many um, fascinating contributions that just just allow us to see the kind of all the facets of the problem of crisis um, that that we've already tried to sort of show methodologically. Um, there are some contributions, right? Um, uh, I'm thinking about, uh, for example, Janine Murphy's um, um, contribution on German liberalism, where we just learn anew that, you know, even in kind of places where we didn't think crisis kind of played an important role, it did actually shape um, some of the uh, of the po political thought of early 19th, uh, 19th century um, German constitutional liberal thought um, much more than 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 we thought. Um, there are there are other instances as well, right? Hegel isn't really thought about as a philosopher of crisis. Um, we have a contribution that um, makes that clear. But there's also contributions like, for example, uh, Adrian O'Connor's work on, on revolutionary France, which really picks up at the time that, you know, um, Kozelik also picks up that, that time frame that, that Kozelik thinks is so important for the development of crisis as a kind of concept in, in, uh, in politics, right? And O'Connor follows this up and yes, shows how politics at that time develops this concept of a crisis as a kind of salutary crisis, right? It's something that allows a kind of congested uh, political system to sort of break out of itself and, and for problems to be ultimately resolved. What he also shows is the like fairly fast um, uh, uh, way in which revolutionaries lose their faith in this kind of optimistic idea of crisis, right? And, and, and kind of maybe arrive at the, the more kind of conservative reading of crisis that we then get in the 20th century where crisis is being attached to entire periods, right? And it's not actually anymore a, a moment that resolves things, but it's somehow like even, even an, an entire age can be, can be, can be described as a crisis um, and 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 that's what we what we then see in yes Kai Greff's um, uh, uh, contributions on the 20th century, um, and I think that's also what kind of Arendt then reacts against right this kind of idea of crisis as something that um, makes modernity actually a place where you can't quite act because everything is so muddled and, and so in crisis. Um, and that's why why she tries to recover crisis as this kind of um, uh, positive um, actor-centered kind of politics again. And that's something that you see particularly in, in, in uh, Annalisa Furia's um, contribution as well. So I think a really, a really broad, broad um, uh, uh, horizon on all these issues. Yeah, I also wanted to bring in uh, Adrian O'Connor's uh, article on the uh, the analysis basically uh, uh, on the basis of the records of the French National Assembly, the ways in which the term crisis uh, was used. And indeed, 
Uh, at the start, it is uh, it is used as a kind of uh, something pregnant with renewal. Uh, renewal comes in relatively infrequently in the volume, instead, uh, in, uh, in in spite of our intentions. But uh, but indeed, the French revolutionaries uh, uh, initially point to crisis as holding of the promise uh, of a uh, of a renewal of purification of a corrupt uh, state of affairs, uh, which is crisis, uh, and then. Uh, it's not only them losing faith, uh, it's certainly that crisis is uh, increasingly used in manipulative ways as a means of political spin. Uh, the, the expression appears elsewhere in the volume two uh, in, in Erika Benner's uh, uh, chapter, uh, but indeed, uh, so crisis uh, starts to pick up its own dynamics. Uh, it goes out of control uh, and what you have at the end is revolutionary terror. Uh, which is kind of warning against the against the careless use of crisis talk, crisis discourse in the hands of uh, politicians, uh, because it points to an extraordinary situation uh, in which many things are doable or permissible, uh, which in normal circumstances would not be permissible. But what happens when crisis itself is normalized in the sense of becoming the uh, standard regular state of affairs uh, of society uh, and still continues to uh, uh, to invest or authorize with extraordinary powers uh, uh, those who uh, hold the reins of, uh, reins of power. Uh, and Benes uh, uh, point uh, with which I think she concludes her uh, her chapter is that uh, I mean Machiavelli and these guys were extremely acute and careful listeners of uh, Political spin, which may lead us back to uh, Cesare's points about uh, about citizen responsibility, citizen education, uh, to have your eyes and ears uh, to the situations in which crisis talk uh, becomes menacing, becomes uh, uh, becomes hazardous, uh, holds out the risk of uh, of, uh, of adverse terms of, uh, of the situation. The other, maybe this is already moving towards uh, uh, towards different waters but uh, but we also found uh, while working on this volume that uh, the topic of crisis uh, is capable of uh, generating uh, a very interesting um, revisionist work in the history of political thought uh, relocating certain authors or certain topics changing the uh, changing our understanding of the various contexts and traditions in which certain authors uh, can be located, uh, like like the Hegel chapter by Nathaniel Boyd, uh, this not too frequently produced work of Hegel, the so-called Verfassungsschrift, the uh, uh, the uh, a treatise on the Constitution. It is it addresses the crisis of the Constitution of the Holy Roman Empire, the ancient Constitution of the Holy Roman Empire. And Boyd uses uh, uh, he, uh, this work by Hegel to demonstrate Hegel's vast indebtedness uh, to an earlier and very influential tradition of German political food, political Aristotelianism. It's a very convincing case, uh, but here we have a Hegel who is not the uh, great uh, innovator, uh, the, the harbinger of uh, idealist political philosophy, but someone who is deeply rooted uh, and certain older traditions and, uh, and can be regarded as a kind of uh, transition, transitionary author 
uh, among various uh, contexts. Uh, another one is Alberto Clerici's uh, treatment of stoic uh, political thought in the time of the, uh, of the uh, uh, international and civil religious uh, warfare. Now we are usual idea about stoical political philosophy is that of uh, dispassionate withdrawal. Until the waters uh, become calmer, the stoic philosopher withdraws uh, into a uh, more uh, contemplative uh, state of affairs. In any way, is resistant uh, to allowing himself falling prey to the passions that um, inspire uh, the ordinary citizen. Now we are shown in the, the case of uh, 16th and early 17th century historic thinkers that they are by no means uh, adopting the stance of aloofness. Uh, they are calling, uh, I mean, they are interventionist, actionary uh, philosophers. Uh, what they call for is intervention and action on behalf of the sufferers in religious warfare. Uh, I think in, in that sense as well, uh, the volume holds out uh, some uh, interesting and innovative pieces to read uh, by those who care. Those have been three really rich and fascinating answers that demonstrate the broad geographic and chronological spectrum of the volume and also illustrate the richness of the individual contributions to it. Now, you mentioned, Laszlo, that a crisis talk can mean spin on things and that Erika Banner shows via Machiavelli some of the great pitfalls of this. And Cesare, you have also mentioned earlier when uh, discussing how the idea of this conference and the later volume was first developed, that there is a really widespread and really powerful sense of crisis uh, and, in fact, numerous crises, discourses in our own times. So as a last subject in our conversation today, I wished us to talk a bit about how the rich and diverse explorations offered in the volume may be used to reflect on contemporary discussions, especially those regarding the uh, often mentioned crisis of democracy in the early 21st century. As uh, three historians familiar with the development of discussions on the long term across centuries, may I ask what strikes you in particular about our contemporary discourses on the crisis of democracy and our practically generalized sense of crisis? What insights may we gain from the various historical examples in your volume into some of our contemporary dilemmas? Perhaps I, I can start since we, we're following the order, but also because I, this is a particularly uh, a dear, uh, close to the heart theme for me, because I just finished a, uh, a monograph on ideas of anti-democracy in early modern England. And I, I should say that, <laughs> I mean, talking about the crisis of democracy uh, uh, nowadays uh, opens up or risks uh, to open up a Pandora box of uh, uh, controversies and, and uh, different views. You know, we have... Uh, uh, the, the bookshelves are full of books uh, telling us uh, about the demise, the end uh, uh, of crisis, so on and so forth. Um, I would like to uh, call attention to a book uh, um, from 2016 um, by Jason Brennan, uh, which is titled Against Democracy, where he theorizes um, 
together with other political theorists, uh, the fact that our democracy is in crisis because people are fundamentally irrational, uh, unvirtuous, but above all, they're untrustworthy because their knowledge of politics is tantamount to very little. Hence, we should um, proceed and set up uh, what he calls an epistocracy. So um, it based on epistemic of knowledge. So only people who, uh, like in a citizenship uh, test, only people who pass um, a certain uh, an exam and demonstrate to have a certain degree of knowledge of of all things politics are entitled should be entitled to vote and that would be according to that to this view uh, a way of sorting out the crisis that democracy is currently facing now all of these interesting debatable controversial um but what i like to say is that i think what our volume shows and this is precisely what the three of us have emphasize from day one of this project, the historical dimension. If anything, I think that this book should serve uh, uh, readers to look at things, in this case, democracy, and, and see, oh, hang on. Nowadays, we talk about the crisis of democracy, but actually, by looking at this volume, we realize that people in the past did not talk about the crisis of democracy. They talk about the fact that democracy led engendered crisis, crisis of monarchy of aristocracy because democracy was considered to be very very perilous uh, incredibly dangerous from all sorts of uh, in all sorts of respects including the fact in democracy so the narrative uh, uh, went uh, people liked to gossip liked news and liked um spreading rumors and libels, which is what nowadays is translated into fake news. Uh, the same goes uh, uh, pop towards um, uh, Spanish populism. Nothing new, the demagogues, the idea of the demagogue, think about the Earl of Essex or the Duke of Buckingham in, in England, the context I know best, or Richard Lee, if you like, even if, if Richard Lee was operating in a, in a monarchy. The idea of the demagogue is there. So this is one thing. And the other thing I like to underline is that as Erica Bennett un uh, um, underscores in her own essay, she says, look, nowadays we're so worried about the crisis of democracy, but we don't realize that turbulence, as to see this, for instance, explains, is quintessential uh, uh, to democracy, to the life of democracy, to the thriving life. To the healthy life of democracy. And the other thing is, is Pascali Kitromenidis' um, essay, where he says that nowadays we are so negative when it comes to democracy, and, and we are so negative about uh, the idea that a crisis can only engender disaster. He says, look, I think what crisis should, uh, 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 should lead us do is to, it should give us the opportunity to go back to the basic of our thinking in order to reset the clock. And this is something that should be done vis-a-vis -vis the crisis of democracy, or for instance, as he says in, uh, in, in his essay, or I think as well, to rethink the crisis of the environment from a de democratic perspective. What does it mean to face the crisis of the environment and global warming in a democracy? Well, that is something that I hope our volume and the essays in it will stimulate readers to reflect on. I would just add like one one aspect to that um, because we've already we've already mentioned so many things. Um, absolutely right. History, uh, the history of political thought, but history in general can always lead to lead us to look at things with a bit more cool, right? Um, so understanding that um, 
crisis is something that is deeply married to democracy, right? In the sense that, you know, in, in popular politics, right? Uh, you you need to command attention in some sort of way. And, you know, the way that you uh, create attention is often by rhetorical tools like that one of crisis, right? And so we had many authors um, in current years, right, who also tried to kind of deflate this kind of idea of the crisis of democracy. Um, I'm thinking of David Runciman and others um, saying, right, well, crisis is just part of democracy and we need to learn to live with that and not sort of kind of allow ourselves to live in a constant state of panic. And I think there is there is a lot to that and there is a lot of contributions that allow us to see that in this volume. Um, the other thing I think related to something that uh, Laszlo said earlier though, um, that you know, sort of um, maybe stresses the kind of critical dimension of of um, of the crisis project a little bit more is also that it remains a hugely political question: who gets to call certain things a crisis? Who gets to who get, gets to assign this term to certain phenomena and to others not? Right? I mean, why are we? for example, in a crisis of democracy and not in a crisis of American constitutionalism, right? I mean, these are these are different kind of um, conceptualizations that someone decided to make, right? And that, that uh, allow people to see certain things in certain ways, right? And that goes back to the kind of question of power that is always related to the problem of crisis. Um, and I think that's absolutely visible throughout the whole history of the concept, which is um, crisis allows you to set a certain um, uh, set of issues uh, uh, in, in a certain way and then tell people that a certain kind of action about on, the, on those issues is going to be imminent, right? Um, so yes, I think there is a critical dimension um, that, that sort of needs to always be um, uh, uh, kept in mind as well, which um, asks who tells you that something is in crisis and what are they proposing is being done about that crisis, right? And that's something that I think as historical historians of political thought, but particularly as, as, as political theorists as well, um, we should always take from that history um, and and apply to current discourses about crisis as well. Yeah, in, in other words, what what we do and what we should be doing is uh, is uh, contextualize. I mean, even uh, skimming through this volume, uh, if one reads it from beginning to end, which rarely happens in, in collective volumes, but if one reads through, uh, one will recognize certain recurring themes, even recurring thoughts. Uh, and might have the impression that, well, it's, it's a deja vu, nothing new under the sun, uh, everything has been said before, uh, and so on and so forth. If you look at it more carefully, then you see that uh, Clara is suggesting uh, much depends on who says it, uh, much depends on why uh, the person says it. Uh, intentions, situations differ, and therefore even uh, the same utterance, the same proposition is a different one depending on, uh, on the context, and it will be dependent uh, in the context that are uh, ahead of us. Having said that, uh, the uh, familiarity with uh, 
the huge diversity of the earlier contexts in which uh, those apparently same ideas uh, had been formulated and put forward uh, might prepare us uh, to deal uh, with uh, the ways in which uh, the same thing uh, will be presented to us in, uh, in, in these future uh, encounters. And also maybe finally, uh, just to give an example of uh, this discourse about democratic crisis, the crisis of democracy, uh, they most often encountered historical comparison of uh, crises into which democracies might navigate themselves or might find themselves is uh, Weimar. Weimarization is the par excellence metaphor uh, for the demise of democratic systems. Uh, but what when democratic demise or democratic crisis or problems of democracy appear in well-established, long-standing democracies, which Weimar, of course, was not. Uh, and here I, uh, I am stepping on Clara's toes, uh, who is teaching about Weimar these days. Uh, but there's a very uh, evocative uh, uh, reminder. Uh, I think it's also in, either in uh, Erika Benes or Pascal's Tromilides chapter, uh, that when we look at the crisis, maybe not of the new democracies of, uh, of Central Eastern Europe, but definitely, the established democracies. Uh, we might better look not at Weimar, uh, but uh, the ancient Greek city-states or Renaissance Florence, uh, when people found themselves astonished after decades and decades of, uh, of peaceful and calm settlement in democratic environments that their, uh, their cozy old world is uh, evaporating and that's something that they need to do something about. Um, so Context is important, regardless of the apparent similarity of the uh, conceptual apparatus, the, the terminology that is being mobilized. That's really rich and fascinating, and thank you so much for that, that answer. To my mind, you have clearly underlined how contextualization can help and have also shown how a serious engagement with historical materials and a historically informed reflection on contemporary discussions and debates can actually generate numerous new insights. So thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your ideas at REVDEM today, Cesare, Laszlo, and Clara. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you very much. I have been discussing the new volume, Crisis and Renewal in the History of European Political Thought, with its three co-editors, Clara Mayer, Laszlo Kontler, and Cesare Kutica, to go in strictly counter-alphabetical order this time. I hope you have enjoyed our conversation. Until the next time.